Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, the Steel City was once known as Smoky City because of the plumes of smoke pollution from industrial plants. That was decades ago, and since then, the air has gotten clearer, but not much better. Environmental justice reporter Christina Marusic is with us today to talk about how air pollution is impacting our mental health as well. It's Thursday, May 26th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. the tail end of Mental Health Awareness Month. So as we say goodbye, we want to check in with environmental justice reporter Christina Marusic. She contributed to a recent series that found people in our region are really suffering under the weight of pollution and climate change. Christina, thank you so much for joining us today on CityCast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So this series, it's five stories all about air and water pollution and climate change and mental health. What made you want to try to tackle this, to try to break it down for people? So a bunch of media outlets in Pittsburgh worked together to cover mental health in the region over the last year. And I noticed that uh, while they were all covering really important topics like access to care and breaking stigma, um, not many of them were examining systemic causes of mental illness, which is understandable, mm-hmm. right? That's a huge, a huge issue and a really daunting thing to take on. Yeah. Um, but we do have the ability to change and challenge some of those systems, um, some of which could help us prevent mental illness. So. I knew that Pittsburgh has uh, unique problems with air pollution and water pollution. And when I started looking into how these things are connected to mental health, I was really surprised by what I learned. Uh, And that made me want to dig into it more and try to explain it in a way that could help drive change and help improve mental health in the region. You know, Pittsburgh at one point was notorious for the pollution because of the steel mills. Um, And since then, you know, they've done a lot to try to, you know, at least change their footprint on the the environment and how it's impacting our environment and our air quality. So what kinds of pollutants are affecting Pittsburgh? Yeah, that's a good question. So obviously the air quality here has improved uh, a whole lot since those old days when they, you know, notoriously notoriously (laughs) had to use street lamps in the daytime because it was like pitch black at noon. Um, But we still um, frequently have some of the worst air quality in the country. And a lot of the reason for that is kind of lingering industrial pollution from some of our big polluters. Mm -hmm. And Pittsburgh also has problems, you know, any um, urban area also has air deals with air pollution from traffic. And so Pittsburgh deals with that as well. Um, I wrote about uh, air pollution as part of this series and then also um, drinking water contamination. And lead in drinking water is one another major source of pollution that causes changes in the brain. Um, and Pittsburgh's had problems with that for a long time, too, yeah, yeah. Um, as most people know. So uh, scientists have known for a really long time that uh, lead exposure can cause problems 
related to learning performance and cognitive deficits in kids. But now that a whole bunch of kids who were exposed to lead have been followed into adulthood over the last Mm -hmm. 20 and 40 years, um, they're also learning that later in life, those kids who were exposed to lead and may have had learning problems as a result are also more likely to develop uh, major depression, schizophrenia, and other psychiatric disorders. Yeah, we actually have uh, an episode. Uh, Megan Harris and I, our lead producer, talked about um, lead in the water here and realizing that our Brita filters are not getting the job done. And it's very scary. But one of the stories that you wrote found people in our region could really be suffering. That means that even their brains are changing because of the pollution in the surrounding environment. And that is wild to hear. Like, how and why is that happening? So when it comes to um, lead, like we just discussed, scientists have known for a really long time um, how lead damages our brains and where the damage occurs. And um, that's really clear. And when it comes to air pollution, it's a little less clear. So scientists are still trying to figure out exactly what happens in brains that are exposed to air pollution that impacts um, brain health and mental health. But many think it's related to inflammation. So Chronic inflammation in the brain can damage neurons that are involved in our uh, nervous system's regulatory responses, and that can impact our mental health. Mm-hmm. And uh, in animal studies, persistent inflammation uh, creates symptoms that mimic things like bipolar disease and wow. depression. Mm-hmm. And so when scientists first started looking at how air pollution harms our health. Um, They mostly focused on like the lungs and the respiratory system. Um, But eventually they started learning that it also impacts our hearts and our immune systems and kind of every bodily system they started looking at, researchers found um, effects, negative effects from air pollution. And um, a lot of the early research on that focused on things like dementia and Alzheimer's disease Mm -hmm. and found pretty clear links there. Um, But newer research has also started looking at mental health. Um, And the science on this is relatively new, so there's not a ton of data on this yet. But I talked to a handful of scientists who've been looking into it, and they were all really surprised by how clear the connection is. And we tend to think of, uh, you know, areas like the Mon Valley near Clarendon as kind of the worst areas for that sort of air pollution. But I guess the reality is that it travels everywhere. This is all our air. You know, there's even days where I'm uncomfortable leaving my own apartment and I don't live near these plants. So where is this pollution happening? Yeah, you're right. So um, air pollution doesn't respect geopolitical boundaries, right? So we kind of regulate, there there are federal air pollution regulations, um, but then we also have state and local and county air pollution regulations. But what's happening in one county can really heavily affect people in another county or even another state, especially if they're downwind and they might kind of, those folks kind of have no control over, um, you know, at least from a political standpoint over what's entering their airshed. Um, So you're right. Communities that are near heavily polluting facilities or lots of traffic near highways tend to bear the brunt of these impacts. Um, But this whole region's air quality is is pretty bad and everyone in the region is impacted by this. What other kinds of mental health challenges can pollution cause? Like, Are there any examples you can share? Yeah. So in addition to these physical changes to the brain, uh, living with pollution can increase 
stress and anxiety, right? Just being worried about pollution. Like you said, some days you're worried to leave your apartment because the air quality is so bad. So I spoke with Melanie Mead, who is a clean air activist who lives in Clareton near the Clareton Coke Works, which is one of our biggest industrial polluters in the region. Yeah. And she talked about how feeling like uh, no one else cares about pollution or is trying to do anything about it can feel really alienating and how having to check the air before she goes outside um, increases her anxiety. Well, when you are engaged in groups to understand the air quality and you are monitoring it and you realize the impact it's having on you uh, from an hour to hour basis versus, you know, looking at the yellow or orange or red days on the news, it's a very different experience. It's very direct and in your face. And there there aren't enough people around to have the talk with that you're possibly scared or afraid. She also said that taking action can really help. So on days when she's feeling really powerless and feeling really anxious about the air. It helps her to connect with other people who are also concerned about these issues and um, strategize about ways to demand change and work for change and find ways to take action. Are people getting the help that they need to treat these kind of issues? So uh, some communities like Clareton have really high levels of pollution, but lack mental health services. Yeah. So that was something that that Melanie complained about when she wanted to seek care. You know, she had to travel all the way across town to find a therapist. And, you know, she pointed out that um, in Clareton, a lot of people don't have cars. They have to take the bus and then the bus schedule is unreliable. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, you know, it's already such a challenge for people to ask for help because of the stigma surrounding mental illness um, that to then also ask, have to ask for a ride or spend an hour waiting for the bus or having to reschedule an appointment if you if you miss the bus. It yeah. just creates such an uphill battle for folks who need help but can't find it close by. And there was, you know, there was a huge surge in mental illness during the pandemic, which I'm sure you you all have already talked about this month, um, which has led to like increased demand and long wait times and more trouble accessing care. But there are some local organizations that have stepped up to help fill that gap. Um, And there are, you know, online options for uh, group and individual therapy that have helped too. But of course, those also require access to an internet connection, which not yeah. everybody has. And I have like general health anxiety and a slew of other anxieties. But one of these stories talks about something called climate anxiety. What does that mean exactly? Climate anxiety means Uh, feeling anxious about the looming threat of climate change and what it means not only for your future, but also the future of, you know, humanity and the planet. So that's a big, that's a really big thing to grapple with, um, especially because it's easy to feel powerless to stop it in the face of something that's kind of so big. Um, So Julie Grant, my collaborator at Allegheny Friend, wrote about... um, a recent survey of 10,000 young people around the world, ages 16 to 25, and it found that more than half, so 59%, are either very or extremely worried about climate change. So mm-hmm. um, 
it's becoming so common that psychologists are developing new tools for treating climate anxiety because it's not the same as treating um, like other clinical anxiety disorders. And one of the doctors Julie spoke with um, said something that really resonated with me. She compared it to treating someone with claustrophobia. And she said, if someone had claustrophobia, she would encourage them to face their fear and spend time in enclosed spaces like a subway. Uh, but then she said that wouldn't be an appropriate response if the subway car was on fire, right? <laughs> so if the subway car is on fire, you don't want to sit there and let your fear wash over you. You want to start doing stuff. Um, so the kind of big takeaway was that therapists need to develop different tools to talk to people about climate anxiety. Um, and again, one of the best ways to address climate anxiety is to find ways to take action and connect with people who are who are also taking action in meaningful ways. Yeah, I, I live downtown and I saw a few weeks ago there were students that did a walkout and they were protesting, you know, climate change and and to take action, people to take action. But we're talking about, yeah, the the air outside. So, you know, when we live here, it's not easy to just pick up and go somewhere else. So what did people say about that? Like, how are they coping? Yeah, I think I think you're right. People are really frustrated by that. I've I've also reported a lot on. Um, fracking in Western Pennsylvania. And those folks often get told, like, why don't you just move? If you don't want to live near this pollution, why don't you just move somewhere else? And, you know, they're like, my community's here, my family's here, my roots are here. I don't want to, I should, why should I have to move because you should have pollution to move, here, right? right? Um, and so I think you're right. It's easy to feel, especially if you're someone who's working on these issues day to day and um, feeling anxious about them, it's really easy to feel frustrated and and burned out. Self-care is really important. So Melanie Mead, that Clareton activist, said she connects with spiritual leaders. Um, but again, maybe more importantly, other activists um, here and elsewhere so they can talk about what the experience is like uh, with people who get it, who are living through similar challenges and also taking breaks, taking breaks from engaging in this kind of work, you know, just because it's important and critical um, doesn't mean the work will all fall apart without you. <laughs> so it's important to be able to take a step back, take a break, and then come back when you feel prepared to reconnect and take action again. So what needs to happen to fix this? Like, I know there's a ton of data out there about the links between pollution and mental health, but what are you hoping Pittsburghers and also our local leaders take from your reporting? Yeah. So I think, you know, traditionally we kind of tend to think of the environment as this thing out there and how it's nice to take care of trees and animals and plants. Um, uh, but I hope that increasingly um, Pittsburghers and our local leaders recognize that the health of our environment really determines our health too, our physical and our mental health. Um, and I hope people will feel empowered to connect with other people who are concerned about these issues and find ways to demand change from local industries and local officials. Yeah, yeah. And your reporting points to a bunch of organizations that people can get involved with, maybe take some of the burden off some of these people who have been fighting for us for all these years. And we'll make sure to have uh, the links to those groups in our show notes and our newsletter so listeners can get involved. But what about you, though? What's next for you, Christina? 
So I am trying to cover more stories that are focused on solutions this year, um, which has been exciting and good for my own mental health. Yes. So <laughs> not just not just the problems, but what we can yeah. do to help the problems. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I just published a story on how solar power at Pennsylvania schools doubled during the pandemic and is on track to keep going. Um, and that was really exciting to cover and really inspiring. So I plan to find more stories that can um, inspire hope and action and connection. Christina Marusic is a reporter with Environmental Health News. She contributed to a fantastic series reported alongside the Allegheny Front, and we'll have links to it all in our show notes. Christina, thank you so much for your very important work. Thank you so much for talking to me about it. A little more news before you go. The Rooney Rule isn't just for diversifying NFL head coaches anymore. Now that rule has expanded to quarterback coaches as well. The change was announced earlier this week at an owner's meeting by the league's senior VP and chief diversity and inclusion officer, Jonathan Bean. Now, in March, the owners approved for this season that all 32 clubs must employ a female or a member of an ethnic or racial minority to serve as an offensive assistant coach. The Rooney Rule was adopted in 2003 to help enhance opportunities for minorities to get head coaching jobs and front office positions. And just a reminder, it's Memorial Day weekend, so that means we're off on Monday, but we'll have links to parades and events happening in and around the city this weekend in our newsletter. For example, Project Pat will be hosting a party at Cosmo in the Southside, and that is a can't miss. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Our team this week includes Megan Harris, Francesca DeBecco, Natalie Rivera, and me, Morgan Moody. Music is, of course, by Benji. And if you like what we're doing here, let people know. Rate the show, leave us a review, and of course, subscribe to our morning newsletter. It's fresh every day at 6 a.m. We'll be back on Tuesday with more news from around the city. See you then. news news and that movie comes out this weekend